AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety and Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm a real pro, aren't I, John? Oh, you are the best. <laughs> this is John S., and I have one of my favorite guests here today, John H. from the DC Group. Uh, the DC Group is actually the host city, I guess you would say, of the upcoming International Conference of Secular AA that will be taking place at the end of October of this year. But we're not here to talk about that. Not too long ago, John and I were talking about Oh, I guess some of the posts that we've seen in the AA Beyond Belief Facebook page. It's the Facebook group has grown quite a bit. And there's a lot of people who, you know, pr- pr- describe themselves as secular, but they, they, they talk a lot of talk that you might hear in a traditional AA meeting. And, and I was telling John that, you know, I, I was a lot like that. And I'm still finding myself trying to basically train myself not to speak in AA vernacular and try to just speak like a normal person. And I, I said, it's kind of like deprogramming. Have you ever heard of that? And we thought, you know, that would be a good topic for a podcast, deprogramming from traditional AA. So I'm going to just give the floor to John. John, you want to start off and yeah, give us your sure. thoughts? Like, like with every other thing that we do, I'll just try to frame it a little bit. You know, I, I consider, and I, this is maybe a little redundant from some of the other pieces we've done. You know, I consider myself very fortunate because right from the beginning of my AA career, when, it, when, it, when I did have an AA career, I was very fortunate in that as a lifelong atheist, I didn't buy in to any of the verities or the steps or the, you know, the atmospherics that required you to be a certain way and act a certain way, except for the idea that, you know, if we, you know, if, if we made a decision, we went to meetings, we shared, we had some kind of idea of what, you know, abstinence was all about, and we helped another alcoholic that maybe we could just sort of move ourselves along. So I never really bought in to a lot of the things that I've heard other people in the secular fellowship refer to as things that either dominated or influenced their lives for either a longer or a shorter time. So I'm sort of speaking to this sort of from the outside because none of that stuff ever really resonated with or influenced me. But I noticed a lot about how this resonates and influences others. And, you know, before we launch into this, I'd like to maybe postulate a couple of questions or ideas about what we're doing and why we're here. I think one should ask oneself, let's say if you find yourself on the AA Beyond Belief uh, webpage, or you find yourself reading all the articles in Agnostica, Atheistic AA, you know, Beyond Belief or wherever, you get your inf- information, and then you find yourself going to these online meetings of atheists and agnostics in recovery, and you find yourself at a secular meeting or maybe even starting a secular meeting and, you know, going to our convention 
and all the other things that you know you and I have both been doing for some time now, me longer than you, but as far as the whole the, the larger world of secular recovery goes, we've both been sort of doing this since 2014 in that first convention. And you might want to ask yourself, why in the hell am I here? What brought me here? Did the 12 steps bring me here? Well, in maybe some ways in my case that, you know, they did because I totally rejected them from the outset. But did my happiness with the big book bring me here? Did my uh, love for everything that was said to me in a meeting when I came out as an atheist or an agnostic, did my, you know, my great acceptance of all of that stuff bring me here? And the answer, obviously, is no. I mean, we're here for a reason. We're here because we are dissatisfied. Sometimes at the beginning of our careers in this, we're very disgruntled, and some people come in a little bit angry about what has been said to them, what they've heard, and what's been implied that they should or could be as human beings in recovery. Yeah. They don't like it. I so got they here, showed up with us, right? I got here because I was no longer I no longer felt welcome in AA at the group that I had attended for 25 years. I was constantly being corrected. I had people when I stopped um reciting the prayer stare me down like I was committing a crime. I felt like I was walking on eggshells. I just didn't feel like I belonged. So it was either leave AA or find something else. And that's when I learned about, you know, these secular AA groups. Started one in Kansas City. And that's why I'm there. But what's interesting, John, is I brought baggage with me. I brought a lot of what I learned over those past 25 years with me to the secular AA meeting. And I've started to change from there. Well, what they want you to do in conventional program parlance is to bring guilt and contrition and reformation to the process. So who the hell is guilty? Who the hell needs to be contrite? And who the hell needs reparation? You know, uh, reformation. And that's you, buddy. You, you terrible sinner. You, you rotten scumbag that ended up, you know, ruining your life and coming to these meetings. And you, brother, need to get on your knees and repent. I mean, if we want to go back to the fundamentalist origins of this whole thing, where you couldn't even attend a meeting until you'd gotten on your knees and repented, right? everything but the snakes. So, you know, when you're in that situation, you are less than. You are ipso facto what they call defective, and you are ridden with what they call character defects. The dominating factor of your life is not the fact that you've done the incredibly courageous and positive action and taking that action of, you know, taking the habits 
of a lifetime and doing what you can to reform the habit that got you into the situation you're in. But you're all of a sudden told that you're defective. And, you know, as I've said on numerous occasions, I categorically reject the proposition that alcoholics are inherently defective. They are people that had certain habits that were causing them difficulties and habits that were maybe causing others difficulties. But, you know, as far as being inherently defective as people, I reject that. Now, the, yeah, well, there are people that come to us that have problems other than this alcoholism thing, and I'm not going to really reject that, but it's been my, been my experience since January of 1987 when I first got exposed to people in recovery that the vast, vast majority of people in recovery are pretty damn good people. You know, you know uh, what I think happens is it's early in your experience in AA, I think, is when you buy into the guilt. Not, not you, John, but people in general often will buy into it in the early stages of their recovery. And I don't know why it is, if they're just conforming to what the norms are of the group, which is what I think I did. But they buy into this idea that they're selfish bastards that need to change be, be less selfish and, you know, and all, and all of this. But I think over time they tend to kind of grow out of that, but it's still, it's, it's the longer that you kind of carry that with you, the more deeply embedded it is to a certain extent. I'll tell you what I've discovered for myself. I was lucky enough to start a secular meeting that took off pretty quickly. And it was easy for me to leave behind old AA and over time, through my connections with the people in the secular group, mostly newcomers who had never had any experience with traditional AA, through my connection with them and other people through the secular AA community online, I've been able to let go of, and it's still a process for me, but to let go of a lot of the old ideas that I had for those 25 years that I spent in traditional AA. But if I had not had that opportunity, if I was still if I was still like an open atheist going to traditional AA, it'd be very difficult. Right. Well, they want you to, or at least many of the people in the conventional recovery movement, I'm trying to avoid the use of the initials, right. the dreaded <laughs> two initials, as much as I can. We'll talk about that later on in the year, I think, when we get to ICSAA. But, you know, they, they want you to buy into this uh, uh, position of, you know, walking through life with this terrible list of defects. I'll tell you a little war story. Many years ago, uh, back in the late 80s, I occasionally would meet a friend of mine over at a place in Washington, a very famous club called the West Side Club. It used to be in one spot on Wisconsin Avenue in Georgetown, and some years ago they moved across the street to another. But in that original old West Side Club, when I would go up these narrow set of stairs, at the top of the stairs was this very elaborate wooden plaque about six feet long and three feet high. 
And at the, the first thing you saw when you went into that very, you know, sort of very prominent club, you would see a lot of faces you would recognize in media and politics that went there. This was a, this was not a biker club, okay? This was the opposite in Georgetown. And you go to the top of the stairs, and I'd look up, and I'd see this sign, and it said, list of character defects. And in that kind of gothic-y script that the fundamentalists like to use, there's this giant list of at least 40 or 50 or 60 defects of character. Then that's the first thing you saw when you went into that club. And I immediately, I, I used to, I went there a few times, and I finally told my friend that wanted me to meet him there, I said, uh, I'm not coming here anymore because I'm not looking at that fucking sign one more time because it's, it's insulting and it's, it's, it's inhumane is what it is. And they expect you to think that your friends are telling you this, which is a segue into some other little thing I had in my head. We mentioned it earlier. Think about who your real friends are. Think about the people that you really, really trust from your past the most. And how do they treat you? And what do they say to you? I'm very lucky. I'm lucky enough to have people that I went to college with that are still alive, that are still close friends of mine. I'm lucky enough to have a few professional colleagues I knew way back when. And, you know, most of all, I'm very lucky to live with a woman that I've lived with for the last 14 plus going on 15 years. And I've developed a very close sense of what partnership and friendship means with her. And I know what my oldest and dearest friends and the people that are closest to me say to me and how they treat me and how they frame our friendship and our relationship. And not one of those individuals frames a relationship in the cloud of despair called defects. They're not coming at me from that point of view, which would, I think, ask someone or get someone to ask a very fundamental question which is, what are these people trying to do that frame their relationship with you in terms of your defects? This goes to the heart of something, a word I know that's near and dear to you, the word sponsorship. I mean, what in the fuck do people have to say to you about your personal life in the context of your recovery. Yeah, I think what the whole right I think the yeah, I think the sponsorship thing has been abused and I I for 
even early on when I was actually going to meetings, I found it kind of weird the way that people would talk about their sponsors. You know, they'd have, some people would have these drill sergeant sponsors that would put them in line and all this kind of crap. And people would talk about their sponsors like they were, you know, some authoritative figure that had it all figured out. And, you know, it just, it bothered me. And, and then later I would see people volunteer themselves to be someone's sponsor and direct that person on what to do. And I just have a, I just have a lot of problems with that. Now, um, I say that as a person who at one time when I was younger, unfortunately had a sponsor that was telling me things that were not proper and I should not have been listening to, but I did when I was in my twenties getting sober. But yeah, I have, I have a problem with sponsorship too. And, And you know, it's, when you see someone like coming to like our Facebook group who just learned about these secular AA meetings and they've been, they've, they're, they're just newly sober <clears throat> and they're in that frame of mind where they've been kind of, they've kind of bought into the whole AA thing that they have these defects of character, that they're self-centered, that they have to work the steps, that they need to have a sponsor, blah, blah, blah. But they they really don't believe in God and they tell their <laughs> they tell their fellow AAs they don't believe in God but they still can work the program and they're given shit. So then they find us and they think that they found a group of people who do this AA thing but without the God, right? And well, they want you to carry it over. They want they want to carry over. It's like you know. I, I see new t- newcomers from time to time who might look to me for some specific advice about how they need to or want to live their life. And I, I try as gently as I can to always indicate that the only specific advice I could ever give in this context would be to talk about how I maintained my own sobriety and how maybe doing a couple of things to further that might benefit you. But that I have no opinion on and I have no innings in, you know, the specific details of your personal life as they relate to your recovery. That one of the reasons you recover, one of the reasons you get sober is to formulate a more honest and direct and clear-headed opinions about what you do yourself. Not take opinions from me or some other member and graft them onto your life. That's just Crazy. And I think it would be appropriate if like you, you, a new person, whether it be someone you meet online in a Facebook group or someone that comes to your, your group in DC and they tell you that they've got this sponsor who's telling them, dictating to them what to do. I think it's appropriate to tell them, you know, I, if I were you, you don't really have to buy into that. You know, you can, you don't really need that. <laughs> you know, I think it's okay. Cause people, people don't, people until they need their people need their minds open sometimes it's like you know we 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 had some correspondence with a friend from Canada who heard you speak in uh, 
Toronto, and he said it was the first time he ever heard somebody speak critically of the 12 steps, and that for him to hear that was liberating. Let me tell you, I remember also the first time I heard somebody speak critically of the 12 steps, and I was shocked. It was shocking to me. But isn't that weird, John? It was shocking to me. Well, you know, it no longer is. But what I guess I'm trying to say is that you you, you kind of grow along. Right, right. Well, you know, you come to a place looking for help, and you are presented with a list of things to do. You're presented with a to do list. And you, it is indicated to you that if you don't do what's on this list in order as it's written, that you are not going to be successful and that you are going to be condemned, eternally condemned, eternally damned. That sound familiar? Eternally damned to the condition that you were in that brought you to the room to begin with. Instead of saying, you know, we're going to maybe tell you about abstinence. We're going to maybe tell you about how we dealt with some things in our lives that were difficult while we're sharing. But we're not going to specifically direct you. I was once in one of these fundamentalist meetings I wrote about it in an old article that about Back to Basics that I published in Agnostica some few years back. And I was in this meeting, and my jaw was literally hitting the floor when I got done listening to this woman talk about how she made an inventory list in the morning about what she was going to reform today, and in the evening about what she fell short on that she reported to her sponsor on a daily basis. And part of the regimen was also calling five AA members every day. It was crazy. There are thousands and thousands of people out there in the back to basics and other fundamentalist wings of this thing that do stuff like that. And it's, it's implied that you're not a member of the club. You don't get your magic ring. Okay. Or, you know, box of cracker jacks or whatever the hell they say you get. Right. Remember when I was a kid, you'd get a magic ring in a box of cracker jacks, you know, uh, supposedly had some power associated with it. And, you know, you're made to feel that you absolutely have to toe the line. And that's just nuts. I just, and when I see this happening within our part of the movement, I'm baffled. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do? What do you do when someone what do you do? Like someone like me, for example, who spent 25 years in AA, well, that, that's kind of different. Maybe someone that's brand new, someone who's just gotten sober and they've kind of bought into all this stuff. They just discovered, a, they learned about secular AA meetings. They, they go to those meetings, but they, they're still, they're still 
um, speaking the AA, the, <laughs> the, the spiritual stuff, the, 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 the dogmatic, they still have this dogmatic view, I guess, of things. And maybe they've even been harmed and they don't even realize it. So what, is there something that, that you should do that we should do, or do we just let them well, kind of grow out of it? Well, you know, if you, if you hear somebody engaging in something that clearly is not good for them, I mean, you might want to advise them that they should take a deep breath and think about what's actually occurring, what's actually going on. Has somebody gotten too far into their head? Is, does somebody really have their best interest at heart? Or are they really more interested in pressing an ideological line? Or some philosophical line? Or some, you know, conversion therapy? that they believe in, that they're trying to foist on you, right? I, again, I go back to how do your friends treat you, right? How do, how do the people you really respect most in your life consider you and your opinions and your life? Yeah. See, I, 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 think, think I think that's a good approach. But if you, if you go at someone, you know, and just tell them that, what they just said is bullshit or, or that if you make them somehow feel bad because they believe something at that yeah, time, well, you know, you, you know, un- unless they really cross the line, one of somebody on one of your pages was printing this St. Francis prayer <laughs> I the other day. Out, didn't we? <laughs> and I, well, I don't know whether you, whatever you did with them, but I, I just got on there. I saw it. I said, what is this shit? You know, where are you? You know, now I did throw him out there. There were, there were a lot of people that started complaining because it was kind of weird. He would post all this stuff. It was like the most, the most religious stuff from AA literature that you could possibly find. Right. He was posting that and with no commentary and it was pissing everybody off. So that's why it's like, it was like from a, Jesuit academy. I don't think he was up to any good. I don't think he was sincere. No, I think, I think he, we had a, that was, that's what's called a false flag, uh, a bot. I, I think I accused him of being a bot, but even, you know, that's, that's one thing, but the, you know, the, you know, we can, it's easy to get rid of the bots, but the people that are sincerely convinced that they must do this in a certain way, even though they know that it was, that the way that they were told, what they were told to do was religiously inspired, direct from, the, from Mr. Blackman's, the old Nazis, Oxford group, and not in the best interest of atheists and agnostics, particularly if you read something like the We Agnostics chapter in the big book. They did not have our best interests at heart. And I think that permeates the entire thing. And that a lot of this, what these poor people are being told to do, is in fact conversion therapy, is in fact a methodology that is consciously used to bring you to the sense of God consciousness that Wilson talked about over and over and over again, right up until his final days. And for those of us that are looking for another way, that just really isn't a productive 
thing to do. Now, I'll, I'll back up a little bit and I'll say, there are certain people, unlike me, I'm a natural born rebel. As somebody gives me a list of things to do, if they're not paying me for it, I mean, right. somebody's paying me what Washington consultants get paid, right. and it's a list of things to do, I'm likely to sure, do it sure. because they're paying what Washington consultants pay, you know, get paid. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to do that. But if you're not paying me, what possible benefit is, does your to-do list have to do with me? Assuming that that's just the position I'm coming from. But other people, and there are people, who do need some sort of list to govern themselves with and by. But those people should be careful too. I, I tell you, I'm okay with the steps, but I say be careful with the damn things. Don't let don't beat yourself up with them. Don't think that they're magic. Don't think that you have to do them a certain way at a certain time. You don't even have to do them at all. <laughs> you know? Well, that's where you and I differ. I'm not okay with the steps at all. All right. I'm okay with other things, but I'm not okay with that stuff. I don't understand why people continue to play around with that form of orthodoxy, but I've done, I've done presentations. I know, but you know, what's weird about that. I can tell you from my perspective, it was, it was all, it was decades of having that, having that language of, of, of identifying everything of seeing the world through the 12 steps, every experience through the 12 steps and so I can almost, it's really difficult for me to this day, John, I can talk to somebody in smart recovery and I see, and they can tell me what they do and I can identify a step with everything they do. The articles that you wrote, the things that you described, I can see, I can see steps all through that. Yeah, I know. It's, it's I, troubling, just, you know, <laughs> that just enrages. Me. I know I it does. I know that, it does. I find that, but that's just the way, know. that's just the way I got programmed. And, right, and right, it takes right, a while right, for me to right. kind of relax with that. Right. You know, I, well, I'm much more relaxed about it than I ever have been. Yeah. Well, I, I, I prefer to, the fact that, you know, I prefer to say that I came up with some common sense solutions that worked for me. And they were more driven by the observations of how people behaved than, you know, what some people, somebody put up on a wall in some club somewhere, all right? But again, I, wanna, I, I don't want to go completely off track. What I was trying to say is, is that per se, I don't have problems with people that need these fucking lists. Right. I don't have anything to do with the fucking list. I don't need the fucking list. But if somebody tells me they need a fucking list, who am I to say you don't need a fucking list, all right? But what, what, I, what I can say is you don't need someone doing your thinking for you. I agree. I agree. Okay? If you want to frame your thinking in a certain way, even if I don't particularly like it, right. that's, that's my business. problem. Right. Okay? All right? And you could just tell me to piss off. No, I totally agree with you on that, John. And that's the problem when we go back to sponsorship, is that you if you have a heavy-handed sponsor that tells you you've got to do 
that you're not doing the step right. You got to do it this way and you better start. Yeah, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. You know, I never really thought of myself as formally sponsoring anyone, but I've written about something before. I'll just repeat it here briefly. I have an old friend of mine that I knew very on early on in my career in this thing. I knew him from before our meeting, our secular meeting started in 88. I knew him from the, the months before that. And he's been a friend of mine for a long, long time. I mean, you know, over well over 30 years. And I was talking to him not that long ago. At We were going to a funeral of a friend of ours who very sadly passed away at a relatively young age of, not of alcoholism, but of, uh, you know, of a stroke and the aftermath of a terrible stroke. And, you know, we were, we were going to this thing and he starts t- telling me how my sponsorship had benefited him. And I said, listen, I don't think I ever had that kind of relationship with you. And then when I, I peeled the onion back a little bit, this was conversations that we had had as friends after meetings about our, you know, various situations with our business life, family life, you know, home life, whatever, uh, the things that friends talk about, you know, sometimes other people that we knew in common, whatever. And he considered that, those conversations, sponsorship. And that struck me as being sort of a organic way to go about it. I never thought of it as, I still don't think of it as, you know, any kind of sponsorship, but what it was is a friendship. And there's nothing wrong with friendship. And if you're friends with someone, if you interact with them, they will have things about their life they ask you about. And you'll respond, honestly, but without any sense of superiority or direction or prescribing certain things, you'll just, you know, somebody asks you a question and you respond. And that's the way, in my mind, it should be. Not this crap of, I'm your sponsor, you're going to take my directions at this or that speed or I mean I really hate the shit of these sponsors if you ever drink I immediately fire you yeah that's not right either I I don't I don't the whole concept of being fired is bullshit yeah that's fucking ridiculous yeah fire this fire that you know I've been fortunate enough never to get fired I quit a couple of times in my career but I've you know as far as business stuff goes but I never got fired. But, you know, getting fired, from what I understand, is very unpleasant. It doesn't really help someone's recovery, I don't think. Now, you can say that maybe what you're going through is out of my wheelhouse or I can't really deal with it or something like that, or I'm not professionally qualified to whatever or whatever, but all that crap. It's all of a piece. It's all the same draconian old style program bullshit 
that people drag with them into secular recovery. And you're going to see that, John, because, you know, you're going to, you're going to have more and more people who are in AA now who are dissatisfied with what's going on there. And they're going to start going to secular groups, but they're still going to bring some of that baggage with them. And I just think it's going to take some time for them. Well, that, that's, that's the whole thing about, we, we use the word deprogramming tongue in cheek because the, you know, the, you know what a deprogrammer where that phrase came from, that came from the situations where, you know, people were involved in religious cults and the family would hire somebody to literally snatch the person and lock them in a room somewhere. Back in the seventies, we had a lot of really hardcore cults and people would, the Moonies, for example, remember how bad the Moonies were? I had a, I had a very dear friend of mine, just a very, very beautiful young woman who got, involved in the children of God out in California. And I remember back in the eighties, her sister calling me once and begging me on the phone to snatch her from this children of God place. And I just, I, even then, even though I was still in the meeting in the middle of my, this is before I got sober and probably in the early to mid eighties, I got this call. I said, I said, sorry, I just can't, get involved in doing something like that. Her family was very wealthy. I said, well, you could, you could hire somebody, but I don't know what good it's gonna do forcing someone. You have to sort of wait for them to come to the conclusion that what they're being sold is incorrect. So to a certain extent, my opinion really hasn't changed. If somebody really is in the cult, what I might wonder is, if you're really into this cult, this sect, where the book and the steps and all those other things are so important to you, what in the hell are you doing with us? That's a good question. And I think I think that's a tough question to answer because it's probably different for everybody. But I have to go back to myself because something happened at their home group that caused them to feel uncomfortable, that made them feel like they don't belong. Something happened. And it has to do with their belief system, primarily. Then they discover us, and they think, great, a group of AA people who don't believe in God. But they bring the they bring this they bring that stuff with them they bring all of that stuff with them and it just takes a while for them i for pe- people to get get into a place where they learn from people like you that they can let go of a lot of what they've learned um and what they've been told it well, just takes some time though yeah it takes some time it's amazing to me sometimes how threatened people get over some of my opinions where, you know, I always generally try to make the disclaimer that I'm just another guy speaking for himself about, you know, what I did and how I did it. You know, I'm no more of an authority in your life or anybody else's life as anybody else. I'm just talking about what what happened with me. But I say that certain things don't make sense. And people get 
all bent out of shape when I say, listen, this stuff just doesn't add up. Yeah. It's really interesting. Some people are, are, they hear you talk like that and they are, they love it because they've never heard it before and it's changed. Other people do feel threatened. Other people feel threatened because it's, you're challenging someone's belief. Yeah. I mean, the, the shit either adds up or it doesn't. I, I'm not going to go into politics, but you know, I was having some discussions with some true believing friends of mine. I'm on the extreme left of the spectrum. And, you know, and I was trying to, you know, reason with them today. And it was like, you know, about the, a situation. And it was like dealing with somebody who has this religious belief. And as soon as you question it, you're all of a sudden you're a traitor of some sort. Which, I mean, that can be taken into all realms of life. And we're not traitors to anybody. What we are are other people in recovery that do in fact have the interests of sobriety of everyone that's got a problem with this. We do have that interest at heart. But what I try to do is divorce all my other interests from that singular interest of trying to somehow tell someone that you can stop. You can make a decision about this thing that's harming you. And then you get to live a life on your own. So why would I tell someone you get to have a good life making up your own mind and then try to tell them how to fucking think? It's crazy. And that's when I, I just get like, I just say, this prescription for the way to live a life is ridiculous. And it's just dressed up Christian fundamentalist religion. That's all it Are is. Are you familiar with Monica Richardson? No. I'm oh not. boy, you should look her up. She she produced a movie called The Thirteenth Step. And I've lived that once or twice, but I never know. Yeah. She produced a movie called The Thirteenth Step. It's a documentary and it's pretty good. And she she was in AA for I don't know, thirty years. And she left and she sees AA as a cult. She hates it. She has various um, Facebook groups and a website that's all about helping people deprogram from AA. And she's really an interesting person. I, I, she has a podcast that I used to listen to. And anyway, I reached out to her. I sent her an email last night and I asked her to come on this podcast. I would love that she would because I'd, I'd be interested in hearing what she has to say about all of this yeah well it's a but i don't think she's know, gonna come on i don't think she i think i think that that there's a whole group of people out there that are so against aa that even people who say they are secular within aa the these people want nothing to do with that's i'm afraid that she oh yeah I, I know a couple of people like because those initials are in the various names they won't get within a mile of us because and they accuse me of still being an AA member 
when I say vociferously that I have nothing whatsoever to do with conventional AA. But they, they still say, well, those initials make you a you know, it, What can I say? But, but these folks that have the conspiracy theories, you know, I don't think there's some grand inquisitor sitting in Manhattan, you know, cooking up ways like, you know, the old Reverend Moon or Jim Jones or somebody like that, you know, with evil intent. These people don't have evil intent. They're just Christians that think that Christianity and the spirit of Christianity is what gets people sober. And I'm a diehard, lifelong atheist that says, no, it doesn't. That's it. All right? And I, you know, but if they're sitting there in their conventional meeting, getting sober that way, I'm certainly better than them being drunk or abusing their family or, you know, doing some, you know, other unwise thing with and to themselves. So from that point of view, I'm not, you know, I'm not opposed in the manner of condemning it all as a destructive cult. Because if you honestly sign up to that yourself, you give up a certain amount of your autonomy but you did it, I believe that most of them, most of them do it voluntarily. It's the young ones, the new ones, that get under the thumb of this sponsorship thing. And that programming. So how do we do deprogramming without locking somebody up in a room somewhere? It's mainly what we're doing right now. I, it's, it's, it's the power of example. You know, it, it, it's some old diehard like myself saying, well, I never did any of that, but I've had a pretty damn reasonable life, not a perfect life, but a reasonable life. And it'll be the first time for a lot of people to ever hear that. I swear to God, I'm hearing people like John Lordson speak and talking about how, you know, he didn't have any use for this crap. You know, it's like, wow, John, I've never heard that before. You know, it's like, it does open your mind up to different ways of thinking. Yeah. Yeah, he's 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 going to be here with us in Washington. He's got a presentation he's going to give. It's always great to see him. I think he'll have maybe 52 or 53 years or something like that at the time. Sometime I want to have you back on again to talk about what you have planned for X, because uh, you've mentioned a couple of times that, that there are some things you want to talk about. Like, I'm just kind of interested in what you have in mind. Yeah, well, I may, I may do a session there on deprogramming. Who knows? But, you know, you and I are going to have a discussion about the dishonesty of having those initials associated with our name. Okay. And our, that's going to be that's our, we're going okay, to okay. do I was that wondering. in the big room. Yeah, Greg's got it on the schedule for the okay. big room. So okay. we'll, be, we'll be like an open form it'll be like it'll be a little bit of a redo yeah of 114 but yeah i know, agree with about 95 percent of what you have to say <laughs> there's but if there's about five percent maybe i don't agree with but i and i'll tell you what i don't agree with. i'll tell you what i don't agree with and what i what i think but yeah you, know. you, you can be you can be upfront about that there, like in toronto there may be from some people on the floor that get up and start screaming at us well 
We'll see. We'll see what how that What was that about? I remember that. Somebody got mad yeah, about something. something that, I, don't, I don't know what it was about. Vic. They it got was, mad at Vic. It's a, yeah, it was like a brain buck. Somebody <laughs> got, I just sat there and I just admired the way that Vic, it, with his incredibly well-dressed Manhattan cool, handled the whole thing. He did a great, he did a great job. But, but back to this thing, because since we're sort of, coming, I think, maybe shortly to the end of our time here. Uh, but, you know, maybe the, the billing of this as a deprogramming is a, a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But, in fact, if you are being dominated, and this is where I go back to things that I've seen on Beyond Belief in the coffee shop and elsewhere that are deeply disturbing to me, where people come and talk about this stuff, this sponsorship stuff, this having to do the steps in a certain way stuff, and they're miserable. They're unhappy. They think they've done something wrong. They think maybe even they're not going to make it if they don't get back to the true path, to the true way. Instead of following your own heart, your own mind, your own best self, which is why you got sober to begin with. I didn't get sober to follow your way. I got sober to, to find I'd lost my way myself. And I, I got sober to find a way back to myself that worked for me, not something that worked for you. Who are you? Who am I to tell anybody specifically how to do this thing. I can say how it's so it's it's just and then these people are feeling guilty for something and here's the other part I get really pissed off. These people are feeling guilty, some of them, for something that someone did to right, them. Right. So you're not mad at those people. You're mad that they're, you're mad at the whole damn situation that somebody at is putting system, this on them. Yeah. At the system. At yeah. somebody who had the temerity to tell a newcomer that they had to believe in the fact that they have these defects that need to be remedied in a certain way or that they will inevitably succumb to a fatal condition. That's abuse. And it's used and can be used in abusive ways by people who have their own personality issues. And no one really questions it, at least in many conventional settings. They don't question it because that, you know, you know, Many have tried, but none have failed unless they did it our way. None have failed, right? What horseshit? None have failed. I could take them to a couple of fucking funerals I went to where people that did it exactly their way every day, and they died anyway. So, you know, I mean, I, I, I just, I, I want people to be, good to themselves. Why look for an answer outside of yourself and the people that love you? The people that love you 
the people that care about you in your life that you know the most will show you more about the way of your life than anyone else. When I talk to my daughters, when I talk to my wife, when I talk to my oldest friends, they show me what I am and what I've done. Now, what the people in sobriety did was, and the people that got and stayed sober did, is that they showed me this way that if I maintained abstinence, that I would find this way back to myself, that I would find this way that worked for me. And they gave me an inestimable gift, but they didn't tell me how to live my life. Well, for anyone who might be listening to this podcast and hearing John for the first time, I would definitely recommend that you go to atheisticaa.com and read the series of articles he wrote that we are actually reposting on a monthly basis at AA Beyond Belief because I, I find them to be positive and truthful. And I also think that, that what he wrote in those series of articles is what I see happening at my home group, We Agnostics, and I hope that it's kind of happening at other secular AA groups. It's less concerned about, you know, following a process and doing what you're told, but just having an experience and, and kind of just connecting with people. And, and through abstinence, which is what we all experience, is, is, is getting well through abstinence. Yeah, well, I mean, you know? if you're not hung over, you can listen yeah. to the stories. Oh, there's so you know? much, so much more you, you can, can do when you're not when you're not drunk and hung over and having problems from from all of that. So you you you, you, you become less self obsessed without being told that you have to be so. Yeah, you just automatically just yeah. So th- those are great articles. Definitely read those. And I guess John, I guess we pretty much have. Cut, you think that we've yeah, it we up? did it. You we know, I mean, damage. I just don't want any. I didn't want anybody to get the wrong idea about this no. word deprogramming. You know, no, I'm not, no, I'm not but, setting up a cult no. to uh, uh, to deprogram the poor AA minions of the world. But I don't know if you uh, caught it when I was talking about how I was programmed. I I'm honestly working on changing my vernacular that I use. Like, I don't like to say I'm sharing, for example, when I'm talking, I don't like, <laughs> there's a lot of AA verbiage and lingo right. that I, I'm trying not right. to well, use. It is, you know, but you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not going to talk about my character defects. That's right. for sure. Yeah. I wouldn't use my... language like that. I don't use language like higher power, character defects. Oh God, I could go on and on. I should, I should write a, an article about it anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, if, if I've got something wrong with me, I've got a wife and two adult daughters who will be more than happy to point that out. They, they know more about the story anyway. So, you know, I guess we, I guess we sort of masticated this one. And hopefully it resonated for some. Okay. We'll, we'll see so. when we play it back. I'm going to play some music. Is this how it Well, works? play some music. I, yeah. You know, I'm due for some Bob Marley, I think. This is the AA Beyond Belief. I'm leaving music. This is the music I play when I start asking for money. You know, all good preachers ask for money at the end of the sermon. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but if... 
you are interested in supporting our podcast and website, we did, we would appreciate it. And you can do that by visiting our Patreon site at aabeyondbelief slash Patreon or patreon.com or just go to our website and click on a donate button. But don't worry about it. If you, if you aren't inclined to donate or you don't have the money, it's totally okay. We do this because we love it. And John, thank you very much for appearing. I appreciate it. We're going to have you back on again. Thank you. Talk about whatever you want to, whenever you want to.